So thank you for coming back uh, today, continuing long discussion of Sutta Nipata. Uh, number six is going to be the Parabhava Sutta, which is sometimes called Downfall or Discourse on Downfall. I'm going to be taking from a few sources. Again, this is um, in the first chapter of the 71 suttas of Sutta Nipata, Sutta Collection. Uh, the five chapters, this is the first chapter, uh, Sutta number six. And I want to first actually look at the third link that I sent, free Buddhist audio on Parabhava. This is something I just found looking for some people who, who's done who's done further commentary on this was my intention to discover because we have two translations that'll work from um, both from originally access to insight.org site one by Piyadasi Tara we found one of his translations in previous classes and again the second would be uh, Tanasara Bhikkhu but we'll get into those after <clears throat> looking at um, a page from a funny-looking site called Free Buddhist Audio, uh, which is actually from a very serious organization called Tri Ratna Buddhist Order that used to be called the Western Buddhist Order that was based in the UK, is based in the UK, <clears throat> and has a lot of Western Buddhists um, who are scholars weighing in. Scholars meaning they can read the Pali original and know these uh, sutta and all these suttas in certain ways better than me, for sure, in terms of the original Pali text and multiple meanings and usage of the multiple terms and how they evolved over time. I'm not exactly a Buddhist scholar, actually, and some of these people are, so I appreciate what they've done. Uh, <clears throat> they call it this, this Tree Ratna Buddhist Order, <clears throat> formerly Western Buddhist Order, International Network of Committed Buddhists, followed, founded by a guy named Urgen Sangharakshita, which I think is a Western guy who gave himself a Tibetan and a Sanskrit name, dedicated to communicating the Buddhist teaching in appropriate ways to the modern world. Um, it used to be uh, friends of the Western Buddhist Order. I believe anybody from the UK would know them. Uh, the page that's very interesting... <laughs> is um, entitled here Pali Canon Parabhava Sutta by Sangharakshita, who is uh, perhaps their founder. Uh, it actually goes on to 45 pages, <laughs> uh, and 42. 42 pages, actually, of discussion of this one sutta. Uh, I downloaded it as a PDF. You can see that at the bottom right of the page. It's a 129-page PDF, just on the sutta, it seems. Uh, so it's a lot, uh, great detail, much more detail than I'm going to be going into today, because we're only looking at an hour. Uh, but they <clears throat> um, did an excellent job, it seems. And what I would like to read is some of their introduction to it uh, from the first couple, of, from the first page, the link I sent which is the first couple of pages on PDF. <clears throat> and um, so uh, down the middle of the first long paragraph, 
from this um, translator, student, scholar, Sangharakshita. Uh, he said this Parabhava Sutta. This Sutta is generally considered to be complementary to or perhaps even antithetical to the Mangala Sutta. Mangala <clears throat> means blessings, and uh, that's a sutta that we're going to get to later. It's also called Maha Mangala, or Great Blessing Sutta. So this is uh, translated as downfall, but there are other translations of the word Parabhava. And so they say, <clears throat> you may remember Mangala Sutta is one of the best known of the shorter suttas of the Pali Canon. Mangala is usually translated as blessing or auspicious sign. And the characteristic of this sutta, the Mangala Sutta, is that it describes in a sort of cumulative manner an ascending series of blessings or auspicious signs from very ordinary, humble, simple ones right up to quite advanced, even quite rarefied, quite spiritual, even quite transcendental blessings or auspicious signs that, that arise for the meditator, the practitioner, the person going deeper um, through the eight fold noble path or practice and study and self-development of, you know, Shila Samadhi Prajna, right? The three foundations of morality, <clears throat> ethics, virtue, right speech, right action, right livelihood, particularly, then through Shila uh, Samadhi and Prajna or meditation, concentration, and then Prajna, wisdom, discernment, and insight, Vipassana, awakening, and that's where you get your... Um, quite rarefied transcendental blessings or signs uh, of development. Going on, he said, so as you follow through this sutta, you find yourself, so to speak, going up and up the spiral, stage by stage, step by step. This is the Mangala, which is going up, and this one is, this Parabhava is going down. You go up a little bit with every single verse, and you end up in Nirvana or the state of enlightenment. The Parabhava Sutta is complementary or antithetical in the sense it represents the reverse process so first we'll look at the downward rather than the, instead of the upward, where we'll do the Mangala Sutta in a further cl later class. We'll go, he goes on, we'll go in a minute into the meaning of the word Parabhava, but it's significant, and, and the, he's also working with multiple translations, but their translations are older than, than these two. And uh, this must have been, this may have done a, done a number of years ago. He said that the three translators all render this word parabhava quite differently. In one hair, it's re rendered as suffering, which is not that good because that's really dukkha or stress. Then Chalmers renders it as failures, and Satatisa translates it as downfall. So, suffering or failure or downfall. Uh, but he goes on, these translations, but these translations don't really do justice to the term bhava. And so we have para, paragate, gate, paragate. Para means beyond or further. Bhava means something like becoming, so what? Parabhava means further or greater becoming? Um, yes and no. And it's an interesting explanation here. Somebody asked, as in bhavana, bhavana um, uh, is another word, and he'll explain. There's bhava long A and bhava short A. Bhava and Bhava. <laughs> uh, bhavana or Bhavana is connected with Bhava with a long A, but their ultimate root's the same. A root meaning to grow, to develop, or become, to undergo a process of transformation, and that's the spiritual path. 
So one has got in Pali an antithesis between bhava in the most general sense of being development or growth, and parabhava, which is used in the sense of the opposite of bhava, which is strange, right? So development and then reverse development or devolution, you know, uh, (laughs) the maldevelopment or reversal. Now, one can distinguish in Pali literature two strata of the usage of this particular term bhava. It's as though the term itself undergoes a degradation over time. Mrs. Rise Davids, this is where we get into 19th century Pali translation, Pali text society, very early translation, so they're, they're from the UK, so they draw back to that. Mrs. Rise Davids, in some of her writings, has dealt with this, meaning the degradation of various Pali terms over time. So, <laughs> you get some people, this is Scott commenting here, that some people are working from the original meaning of a word. Some people are working from commentaries based, you know, translations with commentaries that draw from the later degraded or changed meaning of a term. Bhava, he goes on, Bhava originally seems to have simply meant growth or development, but inasmuch as existence itself is a growth and a development, it came to mean existence in a somewhat broader, even philosophical sense. Even existence is viewed negativity in negatively as tantamount to conditioned existence, samsara. So that the original and more positive connotation seems to have been lost basically as growth and development uh, bhava um, became a word that indicated existence. And then as existence was understood to be associated with the three marks, particularly dukkha and stress and reincarnation and difficulty, then it became seen in a negative way. So you, the original and more positive connotation seems to have been lost, not just connotation, but meaning. You'll find that we do get that, the original and more positive connotation in the sutta, as well as the opposite, <clears throat> uh, which is, of course, parabhava. So in the sutta, you'll see <laughs> some instance of bhava being positive and parabhava being negative, when actually... Uh, Parabhava, uh, so what? You know, by the time the sutta was written, which was what, a few hundred years after Gautama died, already the term bhava um, had negative connotation, or um, bhava remained positive as indicating existence or growth or development, and Parabhava. Para, in this case, didn't mean greater or beyond or further growth, further or development, or, you know, further or beyond or greater, but it meant some kind of reversal of existence, maybe. So anyway, they go on. <clears throat> so you've got bhava and parabhava, where <laughs> bhava represent, is representing growth, and parabhava representing the opposite of growth or decline or deterioration. And now he's going through what the translation, the different translated, translated words are. He said, downfall isn't very good because it suggests change of place. <laughs> but that's not necessary, actually, because it can mean an internal downfall. <clears throat> it doesn't suggest a counter-process of decline or involution to the process of growth or development or evolution, in his view. <laughs> so perhaps one could say that evolution and involution are pretty faithful translations Maybe. 
<laughs> so you see, everybody has different views of what words mean. Uh, he thinks downfall isn't good because it suggests a change of place, meaning going from this higher place to a lower place. Personally, for me, Scott, um, it doesn't suggest that at all. Uh, to me, downfall is um, I, is a focus is focused on the internal, and it's the deterioration of mind or uh, personal conditions or one's uh, continued development suffering. In any way, he says, it is the reverse process, the counter process, the spiral down is distinct from the spiral up. Parababa is essentially that, and I'd agree. So in the background of the sutta, um, as in the background to the thought of the sutta, uh, you have this sort of concept of a spiraling up and a spiraling down, and that's critical. <clears throat> but by studying the spiraling down, which is what the focus of the sutta is, you can also get some indirect insight into the process of spiraling up. <clears throat> because the things which cause you to spiral downwards will, properly understood and overcome or surpassed, become, as it were, means of spiraling upwards. And so that's what we'll see as we get into the sutta, that the 12 uh, items or, or uh, considerations that Gautama states are, si are, are causes of downfall or deterioration, or devolution, or ruin, or degeneration, or disorder for a soul. Counteracting those 12, one goes to back to um, continued upward spiral, upward spiraling light. And the upward and the downward, you know, this is my commentary, can also under be understood as um, expanding consciousness beyond the lower three chakras, the lower triad, one, two, three, or having consciousness trapped in the lower three. <clears throat> so there is an upward and a downward um, literal dynamic to soul evolution being um, the difference between <clears throat> consciousness that's trapped in lower triad blockage versus consciousness that in association with uh, upward spiraling light or intelligent energy uh, and clearance of lower triad blockage can include those three and subsume them into a more balanced seven chakra um, development <clears throat> and range of awareness and function. So expanding the range of function and awareness um, beyond the lower triad, beyond the, de the lower, to include the lower and include the higher, or to be based in the higher inclusive of the lower. And people have their own problems with that understanding, thinking, you mean lower is bad and upper and higher is good? Some people go that and they go to spiritual bypass. Other people say, throw the whole thing out. You can't say this is higher and this is lower. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> this the crown chakra vertically is higher than the ba base chakra. Yes, really. <clears throat> and the higher, higher development is inclusive of the lower, not exclusive. And so that's another sticking point that, that people can unstick and realize that higher development is not exclusive rejecting of the lower, it's clearing of traps and blockages or consciousness trapped by blockage in the lower, which is basically particularly the lower of attachment to body process or sensual desire, first chakra related survival, deep levels, fear and... and existential insecurity even second chakra blockages associated with sense of self and emotionalism 
and distortions of self-image. Third chakra blockage associated with wrong view, I would say, and um, distorted relational relationality, distorted relationship, getting into trouble, making trouble, having trouble, experiencing conflict repeatedly in relationship, not knowing how to make good relationship, <laughs> not being able to make good relationship, um, making bad relationship everywhere or finding bad relationship everywhere, um, and having either attachment or mm, devalued uh, perspectives on social life, overvaluing and undervaluing social life, meaning relationship and human society. All that's very heavy stuff. So the downfall is being stuck in those three arenas, physical, emotional, mental, personal, body-mind, human, physical, human, emotional, mental, social, interpersonal, uh, the realm of the ego and other egos, first, second, third chakra conditions or the realm of consciousness, uh, stuck down there is a downfall or the downfall leads to being stuck down there and being unable to recognize the greater happiness and freedom and greater function and expansion of the higher inclusive of cleared lower so anyway he goes on so to understand how you evolve and how you involve how you develop and how you deteriorate so he's using involve in the sense of involution or devolve it's really in evolve and devolve how you evolve and how you devolve comma how you develop and how you deteriorate these are different aspects of one and the same process one and the same thing one and the same insight which is very important very insightful point in itself so when you're studying parababa and the factors of parababa meaning the the in the 12 i think here that gautama indicated these factors of deterioration you're at the same time indirectly studying factors of growth and progress there's no need to emphasize the negative aspect exclusively though it can be very salutary as a warning because it shows you how you will decline if you don't develop right so you're either going up you know you're either living or you're dying you're if you're not busy living you're busy dying or you're either evolving or devolving uh, I would say that you're one we are either um, continuing to learn and grow and transform or or and or we are stuck in chakra blockage distortions and it's inevitable that we get stuck in distortions just as it's inevitable we have uh, emotional charge to situations it's a matter of what do we do after we recognize that we're caught in distortion like what do we do the microcosm of course is in breath practice or you know vipassana insight meditation when you realize you've forgotten the object of concentration like the breath what do you do well you can blame yourself for it you can keep thinking and drop it and sometimes it's maybe necessary or valuable to think keep thinking or you can realize okay i forgot the breath i forgot my count um let me set aside for the moment all these issues that i'm thinking about and return to the breath uh, that's easy in a sense it's simple at least maybe not easy but it's simple in daily life what do you return to <laughs> well what you've got to, the object of concentration in daily life is love wisdom actually and the big view love wisdom and the big view that's the 
object of concentration in daily life analogous to the breath or an object of concentration in meditation, like counting or breath sensation or uh, you know, uh, sweeping, uh, visualizing breath sweeping in the uh, <clears throat> one of the approaches. So the object of concentration or what to return to in daily life is actually love and understanding and acceptance and wisdom, discernment, finding truth, finding what's realistic, where am I seeing clearly, where am I mistaken? The first is the truth of what am I thinking? <laughs> what the hell's going on here? Are they aggressing me? Is it indeed, have I done something unfair, unkind to, to trigger their mm, aggressive or uh, attack or harmful, apparently harmful way of treating me, if that's the case? Why am I so upset? What is going on here? How have I co-created the situation? And then eventually, um, forgiveness of self and other, if possible, and um, right action, right, right response, which generally requires wisdom. And so that's the challenge, is <clears throat> um, uh, understanding uh, the object of concentration in daily life <laughs> being what we return to after we recognize that we're caught in distortion or blockage or uh, emotional charge or wrong view or conflict or trouble or pain or some distress or confusion, what we return to is quite subtle. <laughs> love wisdom in daily life in the moment. What's, how do you return to love wisdom in the moment? Well, in general, it's uh, not different than Ra's healing cycle, talking about observe, accept, understand, um, they talked about forgive, forgiveness, and um, determine a better way forward. They didn't fill it all in at the end, I think, because the higher portions are uh, find truth, the truth of what's happening here, which is understanding, but it's a wisdom-based understanding, meaning it's separate from the emotional charge. Um, it, it's not an emotional process to figure out. It, it's actually cool and reason based and logical and analytical and intuitive um, but it's um, seeking it's it's focusing the light of attention uh, on the matter to see below the surface to the causal and um, the nature of what's really happening here not simply how I'm feeling and that's discovering uh, Particularly, what's happening here? Am I at fault? Am I being treated unfairly in a case of interpersonal conflict? Have I co-created it or not? Uh, in a case of confusion, what is, what, what is the answer? What could it be? Searching to understand what is confusing to me and, and upsetting. Um, or being careful not to speak sometimes or realizing we need restraint, you know, to avoid wrong speech, wrong action. Or we need to not be restrained and we need to act now. Uh, the situation demands uh, urgency and um, immediate response. These are all very fine points of uh, that come out of love wisdom. So anyway, he said... There's no need to emphasize the negative aspect exclusively, though it can be very salutary as a warning. 
because it shows you how you will decline if you don't develop. It does this step by step, just as the Mangala Sutta does in terms of ascension. It traces a process of, well, it's a contradiction to say progressive deterioration. So this must have been a lecture he gave. But it's, he's right, you know. It, it is, um, it's a process of de- progressive deterioration. But you know what I mean, a process of ever-increasing deterioration. Well, he's right, progressive deterioration. Which, as I've said, indirectly, indirectly can remind you of the counter-process of development becoming, in a more positive, original sense. Meaning, <laughs> positive growth, rather than devolution or uh, increasing uh, disorder. And so, uh, I think that's all I will say for now. Down the line, in that 129-page PDF, on page (laughs) 6, which I'll get into later, um, he and his audience struggle through how to handle the context, which is that... Deva, (laughs) a higher dimensional entity, a female higher dimensional entity, is the um, petitioner asking Gautama for guidance here. And his, uh, what, (laughs) hyper-rational, highly intelligent UK uh, co-religionists or audience uh, had a real hard time with the idea that it was a female Deva uh, appearing in the Jetawana Grove in the, in 2 a.m. in the morning, as was the time for Davis to ask questions, and that could this really be literal? Um, we wanderers, or we who um, have some certainty, I would hope, uh, in the reality of multidimensionality and higher dimensional beings and life, don't have a problem with this but a lot of spiritual people and a lot of Buddhists today have a problem with uh, the implicit cosmology here, multidimensionality and higher dimensional beings that are essentially formless and invisible to our physical sight appearing and coming and going and interacting with humans. Interestingly, a lot of rational, logical, intelligent, intellectual, highly educated Buddhists have a problem with that. Anyway, uh, let's start with, um, I'll read it through, actually, what I'd like, what I'd like to do is I'll read, uh, go back and forth between Piyadasi Tara's translation and Tanisaro Bhikkhu's translation, and uh, by the end of that you'll get it in spades. So from Piyadasi, the beginning, Parabhava Sutta, Discourse on Downfall or Parabhava Um, devolution or deterioration. Thus have I heard on one occasion the Blessed One, Gautama, was living near Savati at Jetawana at Anattapindika's monastery. Now when the night was far advanced, a certain deity whose surpassing radiance illumined, illuminated the whole of the Jetawana, which is a grove, came to the presence of the Blessed One, respectfully saluted him, and stood beside him. Standing thus, he, which is wrong, it's she, addressed the Blessed One in verse. While Tanisaro goes, I have heard that at one time the Blessed One was staying near Savati in Jetta's grove, 
Anattapindika's monastery. Then a certain deva, in the far extreme of the night, her extreme radiance lighting up the entirety of Jeta's grove, went to the Blessed One. On arrival, having bowed down to him, she stood to one side. As she was standing there, she addressed him with a verse. It's interesting how, you see, you know, <laughs> reading old texts uh, is a uh, is a is a instruction on translators and translation in general and bias and 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 um, relative levels of commitment <laughs> to original teaching there was no reason for piadasi to go to he when it was actually a she but um, for some reason he didn't like that let's go on with the uh, tanasaro translation so, as she was standing there, she addressed Gautama him with a verse. About the man in decline, we ask Gautama, having come to question the Blessed One, what is the way leading to decline? What's Parabhava? The Buddha. Easily known is the one of good prospects, easily known the one in decline. The one of good prospects loves the Dhamma, the one in decline detests it. The deva uh, replies, We know indeed that that is so. That's the first one in decline. May the blessed one tell the second what is the way leading to decline. And so, in each case, the deva will ask Gautama uh, for the next example of a one in decline, a one person suffering parabhava, devolutionary deterioration or getting stuck in the lower triad and uh, possibly even um, setting themselves up for rebirth in a hell realm or um, a hungry ghost, a stint with the hungry ghosts. So rather than uh, read every single reply of the deva, I'm going to read Gautama's replies mainly. So she says, we know it's so, that's the first, tell me about the second one that falls to Parabhava. The Gautama goes on, the wicked are dear to him, the good he doesn't hold dear. He approves of the ideas of the wicked. This or that is the way leading to decline. Then, what is the way leading to decline? Tell the third. The Buddha says, prone to sleep, prone to company, the man with no initiative, lazy and known for his anger, that's the way leading to decline. She goes on, May the Blessed One tell the fourth. Gautama says, Though capable, one doesn't support one's mother or father. Old, their youth over and done, that is the way leading to decline. Please tell the fifth. Gautama replies, Whoever deceives with a lie, a Brahmin, a contemplative, or other mendicant, that is the way leading to decline. What is the sixth? The man of great wealth, with gold and food, enjoys his luxuries alone. That is the way leading to decline. Please tell the seventh. Gautama says, The man proud of his birth, proud of his wealth, proud of his clan, despises his own relatives. That is the way leading to decline. What is, you know, may the blessed one tell the eighth? The man debauched with women, debauched in drink, debauched in gambling, squanders his earnings, 
That is the way leading to decline. May the Blessed One tell the Ninth. Gautama goes on. One uncontent with his own wives misbehaves with prostitutes and the wives of others. That is the way leading to decline. What about the Tenth? His youth passed, a man takes a young woman with timbara fruit breasts and, jealous of her, doesn't sleep. That is the way leading to decline. What about the eleventh? To place in authority a woman given to drink and squandering, or a man of that sort, that is the way leading to decline. And then finally the twelfth, Gautama says, one of meager means but great craving, born into a noble family who aspires to kingship, that is the way leading to decline. And then the concluding verse, contemplating these ones in decline in the world, the wise one, consummate in noble view, heads to a world auspicious. Oh. And so it's inauspicious or leads to downfall because it leads to the three lower realms. The three lower realms being hungry ghosts, petta, or hell realms, or lower zones, as spiritism would say, which is um, uh, nirayas, the nirayas, also called gehana in Judaism. Uh, and the third is the animal realm, or what we would call second density. And so, um, by uh, not acting suchly, <laughs> these 12 um, behaviors or ways of living that lead to downfall, acting oppositely, conversely, uh, one may head to an auspicious world. And so Buddhism is critically focused on uh, securing a higher or better rebirth. And so it's very forward-looking. <laughs> uh, fleur. <laughs> forward-looking infrared. Uh, or in or ultraviolet really fluv forward-looking ultraviolet uh, is a way of understanding Gautama's teaching why because uh, you're gonna die we're gonna die and we're gonna be reborn somewhere or continue somewhere it's pretty important to know uh, about it and prepare for it particularly basically by morality by noble view by right view and so right view is number one in um, the Noble Eightfold Path in some renderings of the eight aspects uh, while we can say that Shila goes to Samadhi, goes to Prajna Shila being particularly right action, right speech right livelihood, the three of those rights of the eight so the Noble Eightfold Path is eight rights, eight Samas and if we understand the path as Shila, Samadhi, Prajna then uh, first comes morality or ethics or virtue or right speech, right action, right livelihood. But uh, as we saw in the puredhamma.net teachings, actually before one can even have a natural commitment, not forced, but particularly a natural embrace of morality, virtue, ethics, or harmlessness, ahimsa, one must have right view or a view that values that, a view of, of life that values um, virtue because um, it's known to be good for self. You know, self-interest runs the show in terms of motivation until we get to the level of higher self where self um, starts to disappear. 
and in seventh density Ra said they'll no longer have identity and so uh, self-interest uh, is inevitable or inescapable all the way up until late sixth density but self-interest can be benevolent <laughs> and even sacrificial and surely in accord with the right path or the way of the positive you know the positive path of continued positive polarization right which is based in um, particularly right conduct meaning right action right speech right livelihood which is shila or panchashila living in um, a harmless or a non-harming way but to even do that or want that one must know one must truly feel that's valuable and value it highly and that's right view or view and to come to the view um, noble view um, generally we fake it till we make it generally we seek to have right view uh, while view is still developing um, people don't start with right view they start with a desire to live in truth and a desire to help myself coming from a desire that I'm not perfect <laughs> and I suffer <coughs> and I, I screw up and I got a lot to learn and uh, I don't like pain and I make my pain and others make my pain um, but I'm responsible to myself for my quality of life and also the view that uh, it ain't over um, when the body falls to the dirt uh, we continue and you can't take material it with you but we take mind with us and it's you know it's a hell of a lot harder in practice than theory right so it's easy for me to say this but you know me too I also work you know to continue learning right right speech right action and you know emotional reactivity happens right lower triad blockages remain um, because we haven't fully healed so it's inevitable that our view is not perfect. It's inevitable that we get trapped in downfall periodically. So let me go back to Piyadasi and then back to Tanisaro. And so what we're looking at with the Piyadasi translation of Parabhava Sutta is these 12 aspects or facets of downfall or devolution or deterioration set in a structure of 25 verses. They're numbered. And so, uh, looks different than Tanisaro's version, but it's the same. And so let's just read what Gautama said, but it's not 2 through 25. It's actually uh, alternating. So Gautama says first, <clears throat> and I'll just read his, which are the even-numbered um, verses. Easily known as the progressive one, easily known as the declining one. The lover of Dhamma prospers, the hater of Dhamma declines. Boom. <laughs> That's it. That's a perfect summary. The vicious for those that are declining, the vicious are dear to him. He likes not the virtuous. He approves the teachings of the ill-natured. This is the cause of his downfall. Six. The man who's fond of sleep and company, inactive and lazy, and manifesting anger, this is the cause of his downfall. 8. Whoever, being affluent, doesn't support his mother and father who are old, 
and past their prime, this is the cause of his downfall. Number 10. Whoever, by falsehood, deceives either a Brahmana or Samana, a holy man, Sramana, or other mendicant, meaning a monk, this is the cause of his downfall. 12. The person who is possessed of much wealth, who has gold, and who has an abundance of food, but enjoys these delicacies all by himself, this is the cause of his downfall. 14. The man who, proud of his birth, of his wealth, of his clan, despises his relations, this is the cause of his downfall. 16. The man who is addicted to women, given to a life of debauchery, is a drunkard, a gambler, and a squanderer of his earnings. This is the cause of his downfall. 18. Not satisfied with one's own wives. And yes, they had many, they were, it was legal, legal by the state and in custom for a man to have multiple wives at that time in India. How about that? Not satisfied with his own wives. He's seen among the whores and the wives of others. This is the cause of his downfall. 20. A person past his youth takes a wife, takes as wife a girl in her teens, and sleeps not being jealous of her. This is the cause of his downfall. 22. <clears throat> he who places in authority a woman given to drink and squandering, or a man of similar nature. This is the cause of his downfall. 24. He who having but little possessions with great but great ambition, greed, is of warrior birth, kshatriya, and aspires selfishly to an unattainable sovereignty. This is the cause of his downfall. And concluding number 25, fully realizing these 12 causes of downfall in the world, the sage, endowed with an Aryan insight, noble, shares a realm of security, Nibbana. And so you see very interesting differences in translation, although it's pretty much the same. But at the end you can see, uh, you know, the difference between Piyadasi and Tanisaro, uh, the conclusion from Piyadasi is fully realizing these 12 causes of downfall in the world, the sage, endowed with Aryan insight, shares a realm of security, Nibbana. Tanisaro says, contemplating these ones in decline in the world, the wise one, consummate in noble view, heads to a world auspicious. A little bit more poetic and perhaps more accurate. So, contemplation leads to learning and integration of the truth therein. That's the distillation of love wisdom, right? By love wisdom, we distill love wisdom from what we hear and find truth where we, we, we see truth where it is. We also may see beauty where it is. We also may be seeing distortion, the truth of a distortion, the truth of of deception, the truth of fraud or fallacy or superficiality. All those can be seen clearly, obviously. It's important to see things clearly, really, really. That's loving truth. And so sage or monk or mendicant or yogi or not, one with wisdom reflects on what's important and tries to determine what's true uh, in theory and in my own life and seeks to continually self-correct <laughs> when, not continually, but you know, when needed, self-correct. 
and apologize. <laughs> it's good to say I'm sorry when we realize we hurt somebody or made a mistake. <clears throat> I'm mistaken. I've been mistaken. Sorry I hurt you. I wish I hadn't. I regret it. I apologize. This kind of thing. Very helpful, you know. That's repentance or penitence in the true nature before any religious doctrine, dogma, overlay. So the wise one is one who seeks uh, right view and then seeks to live in accord with their understanding of right view, particularly, as Gautama would say, what's to my long-term welfare and benefit and what's not. So Mangala Sutta, the Blessing Sutta, which we'll go to later, shows aspects of what's to one's long-term welfare and benefit from a Buddhist perspective. This Parabhava Sutta shows the opposite, what's to one's long-term suffering, downfall, deterioration, and possible rebirth in the lower realm. It happens. And um, I think people should reflect on that. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I mean, the people who are listening at this point, I think, understand a lot. So, <laughs> even Rick Wiles now comes to understand that it's better to have several hundred people who really appreciate the truths that we appreciate rather than gazillions who are um, wrangling and can't understand, perhaps. You know, <laughs> a small company or platoon is better than a huge division of conflict in general. So, uh, I appreciate that people are listening who value this. So, that's critical. So, what about this man in decline? What about the twelve? Well, the first, uh, the wicked are, from um, Tanisaro's translation, wicked are dear to him, the good he doesn't hold, this is actually the second, the good he doesn't hold dear. He approves of the ideas of the wicked. <clears throat> the wicked. Uh, this is actually very subtle. So, in the first case, reversing, uh, turning back to number one rather than number two, uh, the one who loves Dhamma prospers, the one who hates Dhamma declines. Boom. Now, Lots of religions say that. Ours is the best. If you love us, you go to heaven. If you hate us, you go to hell. Okay, sounds like that, right? Well, you might think it does, or it seems to, yes. Um, but actually, <clears throat> Buddha's not saying, think of me as a god. He's really saying, think on what helps you. Think on the reality of your condition. Think on what helps. Think on what harms. Oh. Uh, think on the reality of your daily life, think on how you feel and how, you're, how you are and how you're doing and consider and ponder what's helpful and what's harmful, what's helpful and harmful to you, what's helpful and harmful to other and consider that perhaps what's helpful to you is helpful to other and what's harmful to you or harmful to other is harmful to you. So helping other is helping me, helping me is helping other, harming me is harming you, harming you is harming me, something like that. <clears throat> Ponder and um, think on what is true and important. Not just true, but true and important. And um, think on your fate or your future or the future or your <clears throat> long-term <laughs> condition. And so, uh, Gautama or Buddha Dhamma is all about that, all about uh, deep reflection 
on the current condition, like the first noble truth, and the second, the dukkha and the cause of dukkha, and a um, a formulation of you know the Buddhist formulation of the goal of human life, which is the purpose of existence, which is complete and perfect enlightenment or awakening or nirvana, or the end of reincarnation and suffering and confusion. <clears throat> what else? And for one who believes in uh, reincarnation and soul, or we are more than my body, whether it's soul or no soul, self or no self, whatever we is, this continues beyond the body. Then the question is, what's what's it all about? Well, (laughs) ultimately it's about perfection of what one is, and um, reunion with the source, whether it's God or Logos, or Eighth Density, or Intelligent Infinity, what else and so the one who loves truth critical truth evolutionary truth prospers and the one who hates it doesn't and we can see what's happening in the world today the vicious are dear to him so so other aspects of those that downfall particularly not only are they um do they draw close to other people who do harm like themselves they approve the teachings of the ill-natured. <laughs> they approve the ideas of the wicked. This is a very subtle thing. The ideas of revolution, <laughs> the ideas of, uh, of tricky deception to take power and gain dominance and supremacy, that they like. Uh, tricky, tricky, they like. Oh, I got over on them. I <clears throat> labeled my spam email uh, Dorothy Parker <laughs> so it'll get through the spam filter and you'll possibly click the link and I'll make point zero 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 one penny uh, on the click what a great way to live my life isn't it that's what's happening with the spam filter every day so there's a lot of folly in this world and we should be careful and the fool is the one who approves of the teachings of the fool or the proofs of the teachings of foolishness. So we should be careful. Uh, but <clears throat> uh, you can know a person by the teachings they approve. This is a very subtle point. You can know a person, you can know a mind by a face. You can know some aspects of the mind and the purpose of the evolution of the incarnation by the body, conditions of the body. <clears throat> you can know, therefore, the mind and the soul to some degree, by the face and the body. Likewise, you can know the soul and their level partly um, by that which they draw near to, that to which they draw near, meaning the teachings or views that they hold. Meanwhile, if they, if you would determine that you know, <clears throat> they follow silly uh, Sedona Journal of Emergence channelings, dear ones, my dear ones, you're so lovely, lovely. Uh, what are you going to say? I think that's a lower level than the raw material. They're going to say, how dare you? There's no higher and lower. All is one and all is happy joy or something like that. Or what are you talking about? You're wrong. So, you know, in many cases we can know, but we can't, um, or we ought not to try to persuade. <clears throat> it, it, In general, much of this process of our learning um, requires a continual, I would say, redevelopment of acceptance of others' um, 
views being divergent and incompatible, or them their non-agreement, their disinterest in our views. That's a really important matter. But <clears throat> um, there are those that are angry, and there are those that approve of teachings of those that are angry, and that causes further downfall. The next fond of sleep and company, <coughs> fond of company, right? Too much attached to um, being with people, right? So it's been normalized called extroversion. Well, um, prone to company. Uh, fond of sleep and company, number six, which was um, the <clears throat> third aspect uh, or cause of downfall. Uh, it is a problematic <laughs> to be over-invested in surrounding oneself with people all the time, right? People who go to the bar to drink when they could drink at home or stay at home or look at their pain at home rather than go to the bar and drink it away temporarily. Uh, <clears throat> there is a real problem with over-attachment to humanity and relationship and sociality, I'd say. It's interesting that that's put together with sleep and demotivation. Um, there's some, you could do some interesting reflection on the um, connections between sleep or laziness, um, demotivation or lacking motivation, and prone to company or um, fond of company. In many ways, I think they're being uh, equated by the association to some degree. Uh, sleep and excessive sociality are akin. Sleep is a, you know, a putting is a physical uh, turning off mind, uh, hang, hanging around with people excessively, or <clears throat> uh, prone being unable to be alone. Is what we're talking about. Uh, craving company again and again and and surrendering to the craving to being with people is also a kind of sleep. It's a sleep of the uh, greater self-awareness that may come or may more commonly does come in solitude. And so that's associated with uh, spiritual laziness. <laughs> so anonymity, distraction, and sleep Meanwhile, you've got a lot of people who are um, unwisely extroverted uh, in even an, an, and spiritually asleep. So I think that's um, suggested here by this uh, third aspect <clears throat> uh, of decline, and that may be associated with anger, which is an interesting point, too. And so... Um, uh, aversion to solitude, craving and clinging to company and sociality, um, is a demotivated spiritual demotiv spiritually demotivated condition, and may well be associated with um, unhealed retention of unhealed anger. Mm -hmm. How about the fourth? Uh, though capable from uh, Tara, uh, Tanisaro. Though capable, one doesn't support mother or father when they're old. 
Um, and in Buddhism, it's considered really important to take care of your parents. How much, you know, is your call? Should you give up where you, you know, I have this issue, a lot of people have this issue. What should I do? <clears throat> Move my parents in with me? Drop everything I'm doing here and go live with them? Um, sometimes it's probably right, sometimes it's probably not right. But certainly it's considered very important Buddhism to take good care of one's parents and two of the primary, uh, two of the most, the most uh, karmically deleterious or grievous consequence activities are matricide, patricide. Killing your mother, killing your father are considered um, right near the top of karmic transgressions. So hating one's parents is a <clears throat> problem. And if you're looking for a romantic partner, boys and girls, um, one sign is uh, find someone who doesn't hate their mother and father and be careful of anyone who hates. Not, not, it's not the same as having conflict with, but actively hates or seems to be attached to hate to parents. That, that person um, has much wounding not yet healed, I think. And it's, you know, it happens, sure, it happens. But it needs to be healed. It's very important, actually, to heal hatred of parents. Even when the parents are uh, louse, two louses. So that doesn't mean we have to hate them. <clears throat> we can know, oh, he and she are louses, and I chose to be born to them. And I protect myself, and I... Um, know where they, you know, I put them in their proper place in my life, meaning um, not too close, not too far, or gone, whatever, but I don't stay hating. <clears throat> the next, um, the fifth, um, this is very interesting because it's um, the uh, karmic significance, the karmic um importance of being honest with those that are highly spiritually committed uh, deceiving or lying to brahman contemplative mendicant shamana yogi or a wanderer <laughs> or a highly spiritually developed person or a truly sincere innocent uh, love light seeking loving person uh, a person who truly values honesty, kindness, goodness, evolution, win-win, development for all, and justice, truth, equality, fairness, and all that. Um, screwing with them is a deep-level karmic transgression, actually. Very much akin to killing your parents is much heavier than killing a stranger on the street. <clears throat> so killing your parents or killing your brother, sister, or your children is definitely <laughs> considered, or not just considered, but metaphysically heavier in terms of um, deleterious consequences set into motion than doing such to people outside the, one's family. Likewise, lying and cheating and stealing from people who are virtuous and seeking to be virtuous and seeking to be of service is much heavier than lying and cheating to ordinary folk. And so this is an interesting point. Uh, one can reflect on it. Uh, number six, um, particularly being a hoarder, <laughs> having food, having 
money or gold, having lots of stuff and hoarding <clears throat> enjoys luxuries alone or enjoys delicacies all by himself, enjoying goodness alone, enjoying luxury or surplus or abundance alone. This is again a recommendation to dana or generosity or right giving, wise generosity, <clears throat> not unwise generosity. And so uh, this is considered another problem. <laughs> uh, less problematic or less karmically weighty than killing your parents or lying to uh, a sincere spiritual seeker, but it's problematic too, particularly in terms of the karma associated with... I mean, this is the way to poverty in future lives. Having a lot and being uh, unsharing, being miserly um, when one has much, that causes loss, as any Taoist will say, you know fill to the rafters and one attracts thieves uh, fill to the rafters and hoard the karmic law for those on the positive path it involves inevitable loss so it's an issue number seven <clears throat> pride self-pride pride of one's birth and clan and despising the people around despising your relatives so excessive pride and um, attachment to, you know, hatred <laughs> uh, of one's own clan or one's relatives. You know, again, one can see them, see a louse as a louse, or a liar and a fraud uh, and a harmer as they are, and uh, treat them appropriately or stay away from them without being stuck in hatred. <clears throat> so... Uh, this is a subtle matter, and it, and hatred is inevitable. Okay, but what happens after it arises? Do we reinforce it? Do we suppress it? Do we heal it, or look into it to try to heal it? So, <clears throat> number eight, uh, addiction to women or debauchery, dr which is not the same as drinking. It's a drunkard. Not the same as gambling. It's a gambler. You know, you go back, Jack. Do it again. We'll turn in round and round. You'll go back, Jack. Do it again. Yes, yes. And that that's what happens. So wasting it's it's you know, you can hoard your abundance and you're setting yourself up for loss. You can squander your abundance and you're also setting yourself up for loss. <laughs> so uh wise giving, wise sharing is the middle path here, I think. Number nine, not satisfied with your own wives. Hmm. Seen among whores or prostitutes. So you see, <laughs> the word originally probably was whore. Um, and so on the one hand, you have Katanasaro, who's honest enough to translate the deva as a she, because it was a she, not it was a female deva who appeared here, not a male. So while he's honest enough or... <clears throat> sincere with the translation and politically correct or let's just say honest and and authentic and committed um, to authentic translation to say to call you know to translate a female deva as a she while Piyadasi calls it a, calls that deva a he Piyadasi uses the word whores <clears throat> and um Tanisaro says prostitutes. Now, either is okay, 
but it may well be that the original had some of the pejorative um, um, negative connotation of the word whore versus prostitute. Uh, so sometimes political correctness uh, uh, leads to a weakening of harsh language when harsh language might be the right translation. But in this case, we're talking about um, wrong conduct as, re- as it pertains to marriage and partnership and relationship. And so, you know, the Buddha didn't say he takes many wives. He said, discontent with your own wives. <clears throat> now, that seems to imply that he didn't have a problem with uh, polygamy, <clears throat> which uh, is another matter. And um, people today seem to have some, politically correct, seem to have some view that their morality is the best when it's a very subtle matter, morality, such as that. Anyway, uh, making problems in partnership. (laughs) And the second form of that is actually uh, number 10, being an old guy taking a very much younger partner, and you and you find a little wild one, and she brings you only trouble. Uh, from uh, "Do It Again, Steely Dan," they have a phrase also. Maybe they read the uh, the Parabhava Sutta here. Uh, <clears throat> you'll be on your knees tomorrow, um, possibly, uh, if you're an old gent taking a young lady with Timbara fruit breasts meaning very firm, small breasts, I think, is, uh, or at least firm. <clears throat> he said that was the original translation. Uh, and, you know, Piyadasi just thought, oh, you don't need that. Uh, we'll call it a girl in her teens. When actually, it was a woman with Timbara fruit breasts. I do not think that Tanisaro made that up because he was feeling frisky. So he's translating directly and Piyadasi isn't. So, meaning uh, one should be careful. (laughs) Translators take a lot of stuff away from us thinking that we shouldn't have it, thinking that you can't handle it, when actually um, they're harming the translation thereby. So the point here is if if you're an old fellow and you take a young, young lady and uh, you choose a little, take a little wild one and she causes you only trouble, uh, you'll have trouble. Um, you'd be on your knees tomorrow, as they said. Uh, Eleven, uh, to place in authority a woman or man given to drink or squandering. So uh, don't be careful who you choose as your helper. (laughs) And then finally, number twelve, one who doesn't have a lot but craves a lot. One who has a position but wants even more. One who has what's good and is dissatisfied with the good they have. They have sufficiency and they consider it insufficient. They consider what uh, another wiser would consider, would see as their uh, adequacy or sufficiency. They see it as inadequate, insufficient, not enough, and they want more, more, more more, more, more. And um, that surely leads to great loss. It's sort of the opposite of the Taoist sage who appreciates what is 
um, and values contentment and satisfaction, not ever expanding gain and uh, acquisition through uh, craving that never ends. So anyway, <clears throat> uh, what we can see is that these are 12 aspects of personality and behavior and perspective, uh, way to live that lead to trouble for self and other. And when we get to Mangala Sutta, we'll see the opposite or what leads to supporting the upward spiraling light <laughs> rather than block it in the lower triad. <clears throat> so um, it's actually quite interesting. Next time we'll go to number seven. Let me just see if I can uh, find you that immediately. So the seventh uh, sutta is Vasala, a discourse on outcasts, uh, Gautama explaining to a Brahmin what qualities really make one worthy of being branded an outcast. And so again, um, much of Buddhist teaching, Buddha Dhamma, is a metaphysical spiritual reformulation of what had been, <clears throat> um, what had become sort of ossified, like a bone, in terms of Hindu Vedantic doctrine, teaching, practice, doctrine and practice, right? The teachings and the praxis of Hinduism at that time, 2,500 years ago, 2,500 years uh, in our past in India, uh, much of um, Hindu teaching and praxis had even at that time become rigidified, ossified, um, dogmatic and deficient, I would think Gautama would say. And so this is a reformulation of um, what most people at that time took for granted and uh, assumed in accord with the teachings of the day to be absolute truth. In a very similar way as Yeshua provided a form reformulation of, uh, of the Jewish or Hebrew uh, religion and practice of the time. Just the same. <clears throat> Gautama, as world teacher for the East, uh, reformed the existing doctrine, reinterpreted um, the existing doctrine and praxis of Hinduism in just the same way as Yeshua, teacher of the West, um, addressed what he considered uh, mistaken uh, doctrine, dogma, and praxis, practice, behavior, morality, conduct of the prevailing Hebrew um, religion of the day. Very interesting. While Hebrew uh, and um, Vedantic Brahmanical Hindu were originally <clears throat> um, extremely in line with um, the Logos, <clears throat> over the centuries things had devolved. <clears throat> and thus arrives uh, Gautama or Yeshua as reformers, as reinterpreters. Um, providing a, um, what, a detox and a reform and an update of the ancient teachings of the East and the West for the last phase of human evolution in the 3D cycle. So, with that perspective, um, I bid you adieu, and thank you for being here. I hope you're well. Take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.